welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. On this week's episode, we are talking about the element of metal. Hey, before we get started with the podcast, I wanted to give you guys a heads up and let you know that I have created an online forum for discussion where listeners of the podcast can go to this forum and discuss different topics that you hear and communicate with each other. I want this to be a place where we can express ideas and share information and learn from one another. So if you go to ancestralelements.com slash community, you can find access to the forum there. It's just a quick registration where you type in your email and you can get started in this conversation. So please feel free to ask me questions on that forum, ask each other questions, and let's share ideas. So again, go to ancestralelements.com slash community for access to this forum. All right, episode five, metal. And I don't mean the music genre, so if that's what you're looking for, try a different podcast. Let's start with an ancestral use of metal. So pre-colonization in Mesoamerica, in the Olmec, Mayan, and Aztec cultures, they actually used metal in a variety of ways, not just for decoration and artistic purposes, but they also use them for tools. There's these ancient copper axes that were used as functional tools, which you don't really think of pre-colonization society using metal for tools like we use today. Or you think about gold and the use of gold as being a currency and kind of a, a status symbol of wealth and power. You think about the ingenuity it took to smelt metal and to get it from the earth and smelt it down into a usable, tangible product that we think of today. Or the use of cement. I mean, the Aztec people invented cement and actually went back to the Mayan cultures who learned how to create cement out of the limestone and learned how to mix minerals to create concrete. And they were able to build some of the most robust cities really the world had ever seen, even cities that rivaled European cities at the time. And then you have other forms of metal, like salt, for example. It's easy to forget that salt is a metal, or at least a basic element of metal. Think about how important salt is in your everyday life. Salt was traded all over the world. I mean, it was the one of the most valuable resources maybe ever before mass trade routes were opened up. That's why coastal access was so important because you had such high quantities of salt near oceans. If you look at accounts from kind of pre-Columbus America, then a lot of what they were after was salt. One way they would get it was from the gallbladder and using bile salts. Sometimes they would literally open up the gallbladder of, let's say, a deer that they had killed. They would actually take and spread the bile um, over the meat because it's this very um, salty, acidic substance. 
just like if you were to, you know, ever taste bile. It's it's a pretty foul kind of acidic taste. But if you don't have any access to coastal salt, the body needs salt. It needs that mineralization to survive and keep the your electrolyte balance. And so you get it where you can get it. So this element of metal becomes a very, very valued part of society. Let's segue into traditional Chinese medicine and the role metal plays in that system. Metal controls the lungs uh, via iron, and that deals with the intestines, specifically in traditional Chinese medicine, the large intestine, and also the skin. That's the kind of physical elements that metal is viewed through in traditional Chinese medicine. So if we think back to the air episode, remember that hemoglobin aspect to moving oxygen through and how that is, a, is an iron element. So in traditional Chinese medicine, that lung component is really big, as it is in Western medicine. And that skin element, when you're anemic and you don't have enough iron, you don't have that minerality in your body, then you easily get bruising. So it affects the skin. And in regards to the large intestine, that's where you have a lot of mineral uptake in the body. So you absorb a lot of minerals in the large intestine. Calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, all of those elements, all of those metals are absorbed within the large intestine. And viewed as natural elements in traditional Chinese medicine, metal harnesses wood and wood feeds metal. So you get this lung to liver component. Again, remember back to the air episode where we talked about how iron is produced in the liver and the bone marrow. You get this kind of direct lung to liver link. So this is a system of medicine that was extremely complex in many ways. It dealt with the elements of nature and kind of repackaged them into the systems of the body. And we're still kind of figuring out the complexities today. In terms of seasonality, metal is a fall-autumn element. So the minerality should be increased in your body in the fall and autumn time. Which brings us into nutrition and the nutritional aspects of metal. And really, when we're talking about metal, we're talking about minerals in the body. So when you think of food and aspects of minerals in food, hands down, you're looking at coastal foods, foods that are coming near and from the coast, whether it's animals or plants or algaes like seaweed. All of that is extremely important. So sources of good minerals are typically things like fish and shellfish. Red meat is also very high in minerals, things like zinc and iron, nuts, um, coconuts are fantastic. You look at things like Brazil nuts and you're getting a lot of trace minerals, which we'll talk about trace minerals in a bit. So all of these high minerality foods usually are coming near and from the coast. That's the easiest source anyway. And a lot of the stuff you can literally just go pick up. You can go forage. Oysters are another great example of a really high mineral food. And physiologically, when you take in these high mineral foods, a lot of them are also high in cholesterol. 
and not only cholesterol, you're getting DHA and EPA, which are omega-3 fatty acids, which is a brain-building mechanism. You have to build the brain out of cholesterol and DHA and EPA, or general omega-3 fatty acids. Cholesterol has been, well, demonized um, for a really long time, and it's that's starting to shift a little bit because... People are realizing the importance that cholesterol plays. It turns itself into a steroid that builds the tissues in your body. So without an adequate amount of cholesterol, then your tissues aren't going to function properly. And this idea of good and bad cholesterol, so LDL and HDL cholesterol, it's a bit of a sham. It doesn't really work that way. And I'm going to do a whole episode on cholesterol later on. But just know for now that cholesterol is needed. You don't want to have underlying metabolic dysfunction. You don't want to be overweight in taking in excess cholesterol because that changes the body. But if you're of healthy weight and eating an adequate amount of cholesterol or a high LDL cholesterol and you're of normal weight, then honestly, it poses a very little health risk. Okay, so enough of that tangent. Back to metal. What metal really does and what these minerals really do is they build the blood and they build the liver. So again, take iron, for example. It builds in the bone marrow and it builds in the liver. It's produced in both areas, which affect the heme groups that are produced in your body. That's why the best source of iron and bioavailable iron is liver. So people that are anemic, especially uh, women after pregnancy, tend to become anemic because pregnancy is such a load for the body to handle and the baby is taking in so many nutrients and so much minerals to build bones. I mean, you're building a human and so supplying all those biological needs is very taxing. So when you're anemic and trying to remineralize and get more iron in the body, nutritionists always, we always recommend eating an adequate amount of liver. You need excess liver because that's the quickest way to build iron in the blood and fix your anemia. So if you're listening and are anemic or struggling with anemia, then start eating liver. Eat it every day. It's not going to hurt you any, and it's far more effective than taking supplements. You want full, kind of unadulterated heme groups to build in your body because your liver and your bone marrow have an easier time taking those heme groups in and then reformatting them to your own body. And if it's in supplement form, then it's these kind of broken down bits, these kind of reduced bits of heme, and you always are going to be better off with a complete form of a heme group. That being said, if you can't stomach the idea of actually eating liver, then take it in a supplement form. It's best to take it in what's called a desiccated liver supplement or a desiccated organ supplement. And there are pretty good ones on the market right now. So if you can't stand the idea of actually eating liver, then at least take them in a desiccated supplement form. Okay, let's take a look at trace minerals and the role that trace minerals can play in the body. I want to go through a 
a few trace minerals one by one and just talk about how it affects the body and the role it plays. So let's look at iodine. We're going to look at what it does and then what happens if it's way out of balance in the body. Iodine primarily affects the thyroid gland. And the thyroid does everything from regulating growth to controlling metabolism to controlling hormones. So this is an extremely, extremely important trace mineral. But the key thing is trace. It's a trace mineral. You just want small amounts of it in your body. You don't want to be consuming a ton of iodine all the time, every year, day after day. If that happens, it can lead to a lot of issues. There is an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's that comes out of Japan where since they eat so much seaweed and very iodine-rich foods from the sea, a lot of times you will get major thyroid imbalance due to the consumption, overconsumption of, thi- of iodine. And that releases what's called thyroid-stimulating hormone, or TSH. And what ends up happening a lot of times is you get goiters. So there's a lot of goitrogens in that food. And those goitrogens build up in the thyroid. And the thyroid will become kind of inflamed or get these big kind of bulging, almost tumor-like looking goiters on the neck. If you've ever seen one, they're pretty crazy looking. Um, And all that can happen from an overconsumption of iodine. And the same thing can also happen if you are deficient in iodine meaning that the thyroid gland has to work a lot harder to produce the thyroid-stimulating hormone, and that causes the cells to grow and multiply. And often, it can lead to thyroid cancer. So it's really about maintaining balance. So you don't want to be eating these foods day after day for years. We have this idea that eating quote-unquote healthy foods day after day is going to provide you with adequate stable nutrition. But often what that can lead to is health issues. It can lead to overconsumption of very specific nutrients that will throw the body into a state of unhealth. And really what I'm talking about, I'm talking about a very specific genetic or species-driven lack of diversity aspect to the food we eat. So a lot of times we think we're eating a varied diet if we eat beets and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cabbage, but all of those are exactly the same species on a genetic level. They're no different. They may have a little bit different nutrient profile, but you're getting the same main components. So Literally, you're getting no variety. You're not getting any genetic variety to food. And, and that tends to happen as we domesticated food because we took these very specific varieties that we could manipulate easily th- through selective breeding, and that has caused a lot of genetic crossover within species, which l- eliminates a lot of the variety that we see. Most of the produce in the grocery stores is similar, if not the exact same species. I'll talk more about the study of nutrigenomics, kind of how genetics 
the genetics that you take in from food affects your genetics. But for now, know that the more actual variety, so the more species variety you can get in food, that's what keeps you healthy. Okay, let's keep going through a couple more trace minerals. Let's take uh, selenium. So selenium, if you are deficient in this trace mineral, it can cause a whole broad range of symptoms from infertility for both men and women. Um, It can cause hair loss. You get muscle fatigue. It even affects your immune system and how it responds. Interestingly enough, if you're extremely low in selenium, it will actually boost your iron. So the distribution of these trace minerals is affected by the other trace minerals. So if you're low in one, it can boost or lower multiple other trace minerals. So it honestly is just about keeping kind of your target concentration of trace minerals even and balanced in the body because all of it affects everything else. Also, if you have too much selenium, it will affect the kidneys, the liver, the heart. It really seems to play a lot on the circulatory system and how all that is regulated. Let's look at manganese and how that affects the body. Manganese deficiency is pretty rare because it's common in most foods. Chocolate is a great example of food that's high in both magnesium and manganese. So manganese is kind of like magnesium's little sister or something. They kind of go hand in hand. One thing that too much manganese will cause is a loss of appetite. That's why sometimes chocolate or a lot of cocoa can make you feel so full. Manganese also competes with iron in the body. So a lot of times if there's too much manganese in the body, then your iron levels will be low and you'll become anemic. So you can see how these trace minerals start to really factor in with one another. They play on each other quite frequently. So if you're low, again, if you're low in one, You could be low in the other or high in another, depending on what you have going on physiologically. And if you're curious, it's easy enough to find out what your levels are with a blood test. When I was drawing blood, uh, it's a pretty simple panel. It's usually just a couple of tubes to do, and usually it's done with blood. I mean, that's the most accurate way. Occasionally, they'll do it through a urine analysis, but it's not as accurate. So if you really want to know what's going on, then a blood test is your best bet. Okay, so let's kind of wrap it up with our three top tips on minerals. Number one, eat foods that are high in minerals. You want to do this especially in the fall to prepare your body and immune system for the upcoming winter. It's okay to, again, this idea of seasonally eating and preparing your body biologically for the season and upcoming season. So it's okay to load up on minerals a little bit in the fall because then as seasons progress and move on, the minerality changes in the foods that you're going to be eating. So you're not going to be overloading the body with a specific mineral to cause either too much or too little. It should remain in relative balance if you're eating within your bioregion and within your season. Okay, top tip number two. When it comes to selecting the types 
of foods to get your minerals. Again, coastal foods are always going to be the best and the fresher, the better. So if you can catch it or forage it yourself, you're going to be way better off because you're going to keep those minerals high and they're going to be robust in the blood. And if you're not able to fish or forage, then just do your best to get really fresh stuff. And top tip number three, this kind of goes out to the gardeners out there. If you are looking to get good solid fertilizers and increase the minerality in the soil, which we're going to talk a lot more about nutrients in the soil and how it produces better food in the upcoming Earth episode. But a good way to do that is if you can get what's called cast seaweed or castaway seaweed. Just seaweed that washes up on the shore on a coastline. You can go pick up um, and you can spread that around your garden and it provides really, really, really good fertilization for the planting season. Okay, so that about does it for the element of metal. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>